Well, I would like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the Psalms. This morning we are going to look at Psalm uh, 57. So we're taking uh, a break just this week. We'll resume a break, a break from our study through Philippians. Uh, we will resume that series next week, Lord willing, and we'll look at the second half of the Christ hymn, which we looked at last week. Um, but today, since we had Presbytery this last week and I was gone for uh, half the week, uh, the session has graciously allowed me to preach a, a sermon that I've, I've already done uh, several years ago, or a few years ago. And so uh, this is Psalm 57, that's what we are going to look at uh, this morning. Psalm 57, we will consider the entire psalm before we hear God's word. If you would, join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's pray together, friends. Our Father and our God, we, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that you have removed the filthy garments from us, our unrighteousness and our filthiness and our guilt from our sin. And you have done this by the blood of your Son, and you have clothed us with his righteousness, pure, perfect vestments by which you see us, the clothing of Jesus Christ, his obedience and his uh, satisfaction on the cross. So we thank you, Father, for this good work by our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the words of our Savior in Holy Scripture, that he speaks to us and that he sings over us even even now. And so we pray, Father, that you would reveal his glory from this psalm. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 57, beginning in verse 1. Beloved, this is the word of God. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge, till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord remains forever. Well, in this psalm, we see a desire spring forth from the heart of the psalm writer, uh, David, that can only have been put there by God. And that desire that we see here is that God would be glorified, that God would be exalted, that his name, his glory would be known in all of the earth. Verse 5 Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Now, that is the psalmist's desire in this song, and it's an incredible desire because if you read the subscript in most of your English Bibles, you see that it's likely that the the psalm was written by David when he was being chased down 
by Saul when he was uh, chased down and had to uh, hide in a cave. People were after him to kill him. He is even on the brink of death, possible death. And that's what we see in this psalm. And yet in the midst of all of this, what is his desire? That God would be glorified, that God would be exalted. Verse 5, he says, my soul is in the midst of lions. Verse 6, they set a net for my trap. My soul was bowed down. This is, this is the experience of the psalmist in the midst of putting these words down and singing them, saying them. Now, this psalm could be considered as a psalm of lamentation. There are other psalms like this whereby the psalmist cries out to God for help because of some struggle. He's lamenting. He's lamenting his situation and therefore cries out to God to, to save him, to help him. We even see here that David speaks of, uh, uh, of his soul being in the midst of, of lions, that his enemies are after them, that his soul was bowed down. So that, that is what he's feeling, even as he says, may your glory be exalted over all of the earth. Now in the Psalter, if you read through the Psalms, the pain of struggle that the psalmists go through in various Psalms can come from several sources. The psalmist may struggle with something inside of himself. He may struggle with personal sin, or he may be struggling from the persecution of an enemy, as we see in this Psalm. It may be the persecution of an enemy, then, that causes doubt in the psalmist or fear in the psalmist that begins to increase inside of him. He begins to think that God has left him for dead, that he has forsaken him. And so he cries out in the midst of his suffering for deliverance. And then usually by the end of these psalms, he gives thanks that God has answered him or he gives thanks because he is certain that God will answer him. I will do this because even though now I don't see an answer, I know you are faithful and I know my salvation will be brought about by your sovereign hand. In this psalm, the psalmist struggles very, very clearly with an enemy and yet his heart remains steadfast because of his faith in God and because of this desire that we see here that, that God would be glorified. He remains steadfast in his faith in his commitment to the Lord, even in the midst of an enemy trying to kill him, and in his desire to see God be glorified. Now, I know that often when we are in trouble or distress, if we are honest, we want help from God, certainly, to alleviate our pain, to end our distress, but typically we want this for our own sake, which is not a bad thing to want, we, we want the pain to stop. We want the struggle to end. We want comfort for ourselves. But sometimes we want comfort for ourselves without regard for the way in which God's name is honored in the midst of our suffering or as, as a result of our suffering or from the end result that comes about uh, from us going through difficulties. We don't think about the glory of God in the midst of our suffering sometimes. But this psalmist, this psalm writer, desires salvation from God so that he might be glorified in all the earth. The psalmist begins like the previous, uh, like previous psalms of lamentation or other psalms of lamentations in the Psalter. 
He begins with a call for mercy. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. And so we see here that he repeats himself twice. Be merciful to me. Now this might give us an indication of the kind of distress he was under. He's not repeating himself, thinking that if he repeats himself enough, then God will finally turn his ear toward him. Or if he repeats himself enough, that gives power to his prayer. No, I I think it shows how much distress he is in, how hard his struggle is. He's crying out for mercy so much so that he repeats himself twice here. It is interesting here in the next part of the psalm that as, as David cries for mercy, he doesn't immediately give the context of his persecution as the reason for his lament. Rather, he grounds his cry for mercy in the fact that he finds his refuge in God. Be merciful to me. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In, In other words, and in no one else. He grounds this cry, this cry out for mercy in the fact that it's natural for him to do this. This is where his refuge is. As he's hiding in the cave from his attackers, where does he find his refuge? Not in his, in his own abilities. He's weak. He's in a cave. It's poss- likely that he was in a cave, as we see in the subscript. Where does he find his refuge then? In God. I cry out to you, God. Be merciful to me, because that is my true refuge. Now, the psalmist here refers to his soul. My soul takes refuge in here, in, in God, or takes refuge in you, O God. The soul, usually in the Old Testament and the Psalms in particular, refers to the entirety of David's life, his heart, his strength, his mind, his soul. It's not just his inner person, but his whole being takes refuge in God. He has given himself completely over to the protection of God here. He does not come to him, in other words, as one who wants only temporal satisfaction. He doesn't say, be merciful to me. I want this pain to end for myself, for my sake. No, he says, be merciful to me because I have given myself over completely to your protection. And once you answer my prayer, you will be glorified. That is what uh, David expects. Now, this is a kind of mercy that Pharaoh longed for. If you remember the story in the Old Testament, Moses and the redemption of the Israelites from Pharaoh's harsh grasp, mercy was shown to Pharaoh for some time. When the plagues came upon the Egyptians, Pharaoh pleaded with Moses over and over again to intercede for them to God. These plagues were harsh, the darkness, the frogs, and all the rest, and his people were suffering, and so he would finally break down and ask Moses to intercede for him. And he even said to Moses repeatedly, This time I have sinned, the Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord. But of course, once the plague was lifted, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. And so he did not find refuge in God. He only wanted his prayer answered for his own sake, for his own people. Once the suffering was alleviated, his true heart was shown. He wouldn't let the Israelites go. But this psalmist is different. David's heart we see is different. He entreats God for mercy because he loves God. 
and knows that God offers him safe refuge from attackers. And he offers him safe refuge from attackers like the way in which a hen or another bird covers her young with her wing. I take refuge under the shadow of your wings. Uh, Jesus used these very words in in his psalm of lamentation in the New Testament. He was grieving over the unbelief of Israel. And he said, oh, Israel, how I would have gathered you to me and covered you over with my protective wings. But you would not. And so you see there that that is what Jesus does for us. He covers us with his wings. And that is what the psalmist is looking for from, uh, from God. That gentle protection from a loving father. He says, till the storms of destruction pass by. Here he gives us the time frame of hiding under the shadow of God's wings. It's until the storms of destruction pass by. Now, we've already seen that the psalmist continually takes refuge in God. God is his refuge. It doesn't change at various times. He is always his refuge. But at this particular time, when he's in desperate need, that is when he understands and appreciates more closely, more sincerely perhaps, the fact that God is his only refuge. And so the storms have come, and he recognizes, I have to find refuge in God if I am to survive this storm. And so until the storms of destruction pass by, and that's, again, that we see here that he's possibly on the brink of death. He might be destroyed here. Where does he find his protection? And so David shows us that he will find refuge in the shadow of God's wings. And he will wait under those wings until the storm passes by. Now here, as we go along, he shows us the manner in which he hides under his wings in this psalm. He cries out to God in prayer. And he applies to God the name of God Most High. I cry out to God Most high. He calls God most high because God is the highest of beings. He is the highest of beings. He's the God of all gods. He is supreme in all of his attributes. His glory is somewhat revealed in the world in the exaltation of human kings. And so when citizens are dealt with storms of destruction, they are often forced to find refuge under the protection of an earthly king, one who's set on high. David has no such recourse here. He has no such ability. In fact, David was the king. He was the rightful king, and he was being chased down into a, a cave. Who would he appeal to for protection? Well, it's God the Most High. He is the exalted one, and the exaltation of human kings here on earth is dwarfed by the glory of God whose throne is in heaven. This is to whom, God, to whom David appeals. It is to this God that David cries out to, God most high. Because God is God and because he has authority over all flesh, David finds comfort knowing that he will fulfill his purpose for me. God is most high. He is the exalted king of all the earth. He rules over all things. He directs the hearts of kings like water in his hand. 
He directs them for his purposes. And so knowing this, David says, he will fulfill his purpose for me. And so uh, David knows that God is sovereign. That's who he appeals to, the, the one that fulfills the purpose that he has put in place for David from all eternity. Now, we're going through the book of Philippians, usually in the mornings. We've already seen a lesson on this somewhat, or Paul, the Apostle Paul echo this, uh, when he said in Philippians chapter 1, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so God will cause, the scripture teaches us that God will cause all of his elect children to persevere in the faith. That is what will happen. That is what Scripture teaches us will happen. And that is our hope. Our hope hope ultimately then is not in ourselves. We don't appeal to our own strength. We appeal, and especially in our weakness, to the strength of God and to His promise that He will not let us go and that the Most High will finish what He starts in His people. That is what keeps us going. That is what keeps us grounded. He will fulfill his purpose for me. Now, even though we may go through seasons of doubt, and even at times we fall into sin, God, because of his seed that he's placed in you, and because he abides in you by that seed, he will never let you go. It is impossible for you to fall away because of his immovable power inside of you by the seed that he has placed in you. Within you, by his unchangeable decree of election, he will sustain us by his love. He will fulfill his purpose for me, even though your circumstances might tell you differently. Maybe, maybe God won't fu- fulfill his promise to me. That's what it looks like. That's what it feels like in the storms of destruction. But we appeal to his word. We appeal to his promise. And that's what David does here. In fact, it's often through the most difficult times, in the most difficult times, when God feels far away. And that's exactly when he refines our faith and he further sanctifies us. We see here that faithfulness and steadfast love are personified. He will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. They are like heavenly helpers that come down from heaven to aid David in his affliction. As one commentator put it, Faithfulness and steadfast love here are like God's hands reaching down to pick him up and to strike his enemies. The psalmist goes on to speak a little bit more about his suffering, what he's going through. He talks being in the, about being in the midst of lions. Well, we know, many of us know the story about Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel had been thrown into the lion's den because of his faith in God Most High. And the lions would have torn him apart had not God sent his faithfulness and steadfast love from heaven to save him. He sent an angel into the lion's den to protect him from the mouths of the lions. Well, David is essentially in the lion's den. He is most likely in a cave and there are violent beasts. These are men, of course, but he describes them as violent beasts out to tear him apart. David likens his attackers, his enemies, as like fiery beasts. They are inflamed with hatred. They want to devour him. He, he describes their teeth uh, as like weapons of war, and their tongues are sharp. They use their words 
in an attempt to kill David, to slander him among his people, but also to plot to end him, to bring about his demise. That is how they use their tongues. These beasts are aflame. They have sharp swords, spears, and arrows. This illustrates the way in which the words of the children of man can pierce the souls of others to the point of death. Now, it's interesting here that David does, in fact, focus so much on words, on the mouths and the tongues of his attackers. Words can be incredibly influential. The right words spoken can bend a crowd in a certain direction in one way or another, either for good or for evil. We go back to the story of Daniel. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because wicked men maliciously persuaded King Darius by their words to write into law an injunction against prayer to any other god. And once Daniel did his normal three times a day of prayer to God, they accused him and had him put to death, or what looked like a sentence of death. And so they used their words to try to put Daniel to death. Well, David's enemies in the psalm are up to the same thing, but David finds comfort in God's vengeance against them. He says, they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Now, this is exactly what happened to those who conspired against Daniel. Daniel was saved. He was pulled out of the lion's den. And all those and their families who accused Daniel of wrongdoing, they went into the lion's den themselves. And they did not have the same fate as Daniel. David experienced these same types of malicious accusations, but he continued to trust in the Lord. He knew that the Lord could rescue him and would rescue him. He would tame the tongue of the oppressor, even though he couldn't see it, how that might be done. Now this prayer on the part of David that God would be exalted refers back to the way in which he addressed God as most high. God is exalted above the earthly heavens and the invisible heavens in the heavenly places. The seraphim sing holy, holy, holy before his throne day and night. But that glory seen always in heaven, David longs to be seen on earth by the way of his salvation. His salvation for the king. Your glory is exalted above the heavens. Make that glory known by saving your anointed king, by bringing me out of this destruction, bringing me out of this uh, persecution. And so David pauses to praise God in the heavens. His mind then is taken up for a moment to the place of God's dwelling, even in the midst of the lion's den, as it were. And that's the point of suffering, friends, is it not? Often our minds aren't there. We don't think about God most high. We don't think about his exalted status and the fact that he is the highest of beings and his glory is exalted above the heavens and yet we know him. We've come near to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Our minds aren't always there. But in the midst of suffering, that is what God does. He forces us, causes us to contemplate the glory of God. And that is exactly what David is doing here. David essentially prays here, Hallowed be your name. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. May your will be done on earth 
as it, as it is in heaven. God, glorify yourself through all of this, David prays. David had repeated himself earlier in the psalm. He said, be merciful to me, be merciful to me. This showed his earnest desire to uh, receive help from the Lord. Here he repeats himself to show just as zealous how zealous he is for mercy and also how zealous he is to remain obedient to God. I will remain steadfast in the Lord. I will continue to sing of your steadfast love. I will awake the dawn with my worship. David, then, as we see here, is not one who prays and then sits in inactivity. His heart is set on continuing to be faithful to God. This suffering will not cause him to depart from the Lord, but will cause him to draw ever closer to the Lord. I will remain steadfast. My heart is steadfast despite my predicament. Jesus promises us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He says, I and the Father are one, and no one can snatch you out of my hand, and no one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. It is in the times of our most severe suffering and most intense struggles that we find this truth to be all the more important and all the more real. And that is what David is experiencing. Beloved, the Holy Spirit is always with us. He abides with us and he gives us the strong support that we need as, his, as God's children that our faith might be sustained. And this is in fact what happened with Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit who sustained Christ as he incurred the wrath of God upon himself on the cross. And what did Jesus cry out there? A psalm of lamentation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet in the midst of praying that prayer and lamenting in that psalm, we see also that Christ trusted his Father. It's that very cry that shows he continued to trust in his Father, and the Spirit upheld the Lord Jesus, even as he incurred the wrath of God against our sin. The Spirit was able to sustain his nature and keep him from completely sinking under the wrath of God. And friends, that same Spirit does a similar work in us. He supports us. He keeps us from falling away. He keeps us from falling into total despair. And it's those promises and that reality that we appeal to in our suffering. The Spirit of God brought to completion his work when he raised Jesus from the dead. Now remember David at the beginning of this psalm, he finds confidence in the God Most High. In verse 2, that he fulfills his purpose for me. Well, Christ died on account of our sins, but death could not hold him. He was raised from the dead on the third day, and thus God fulfilled his purpose for his son. He raised him from the dead, and now Christ, living, sings over us. He sings with us in gathered worship. He is alive. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. This is the glory of resurrected worship that is being referred to here. I will sing my glory, my whole being will participate in the worship of God and singing to God who brings about resurrection for me. That is what he has done for his son, Jesus Christ, and that is what he does in us. The resurrected Jesus sings over us. He sings with us when we gather for worship. 
Christ is there among us. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And so this is what we do, friends. This is what the psalmist is saying that we do. We awaken the dawn on the Lord's day with singing to God in worship. I will awake the dawn. Many of us, some of us, may be going through a certain amount of suffering, a certain amount of pain, a particular struggle. And yet here we are. Singing to the Lord, I will awake the dawn. And we can do this because of the promises that we see in psalms like this and the rest of Holy Scripture. Now David gives us the context of his singing in this psalm. He will sing among the peoples. I will sing, give thanks among the nations. We read from Psalm 18 where uh, David, where the psalm writer says a similar thing. I will sing with who? Who do we sing with? I will sing among the nations among the Gentiles even. When this psalm was written, God was only dealing with Israel. He was only dealing with the blood of Abraham for the most part. But there would come a time when this resurrected king would sing among the nations. And that's what takes place today with us, friends. We are those from the nations. We are those from every walk of life, from every background, from every type of country and setting and cultural context and yet here we are together singing together with Jesus Christ I will sing among the nations do you see that there that is what takes place here Jesus sings among us he sings through us in our worship to God we are the nations that David envisioned here in this psalm now, David rounds off his, this declaration of praise with a reason for his praise. He says, His steadfast love and faithfulness fill all of heaven and earth. Even the stars and the moon and the sun, which God has fixed in their places, even these things declare his glory, his faithfulness. Summertime, wintertime, seed time, and harvest, we are told, all happen over and over and over again because of God's almighty power and because of his faithfulness. It's revealed in the heavens, it's revealed in creation, and it's revealed in the death and resurrection of his son. That God, the God who determines where the stars are in the heavens and causes the sun to rise each day, is the God who sustains your faith. That is what David appreciates here. His steadfast love and faithfulness fill all of heaven and earth. As David contemplates God's glory and his never-ending steadfast love and faithfulness, he concluded the psalm again with an appeal to God's sure and certain work that he will by no means give his glory to another. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. David recognizes here in his suffering just how small he is and how great God is. And that is the goal of our suffering, that we would come to this place as David did. Be exalted, O God, in all of the earth. May your name be exalted. May your glory be over all the earth. And that will happen, friends. That is something that Scripture promises as well. God will not give his glory to another. It's not ultimately about our comfort. It's not ultimately about the alleviation of our pain, though God does give us that, and we should pray for that. It's about his glory. 
It's about how he is exalted in the minds and the hearts of his people and how he will get the glory in the end. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. To Christ be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Let's pray together, friends.